Hey there, everyone, and welcome to today's show. If you have not had a chance to go back and check out last week's episode with my incredible friends, Krista and Phil Franks, um, you have to do that. It's just has, there's just so much great insight in that episode. And, you know, every so often you guys hear me mention, like, there's some episodes that you I listened to more than once. And that is absolutely one of them. But for right now, I am jumping in with the brilliant Charlie Oliver. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. entrepreneurs and welcome, welcome, welcome to today's show. You are in for a treat. I have been laughing with this guest for like the past, I don't know, 20 minutes since we got on the Zoom. So this is going to be a good time, this interview. So folks, I am excited to welcome Charlie Oliver to the show. She is an entrepreneur, technologist, futurist, and I can say with certainty so much more. She's worked in so many incredible roles. I couldn't even list them all here. You just need to go check out the the notes that she'll, you know, she'll tell you about more when she gets into it. But right now she is the founder and CEO of Tech 2025 or T25 as it's known as well, which is focused on figuring out the future together, especially when it comes to technology. So Charlie, thank you so much for being here with me today. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump in because you've had a heck of a journey. I was reading over your bio, like I said, and I was like, this woman, number one, kicks ass. Number two is after like my own heart because you're like, I'm going to do this and now I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to roll them all together. Yeah. So tell our audience how you got to where you are today. And, you know, if there's anything that helped you in the resilience category too. Wow, that is that is a big question, but I, I so appreciate it. I appreciate that you are asking me about my journey, yeah. which I think we should, we should be asking each other more about our journeys, right? Um, it's certainly um, I will try to do 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 this justice, but <laughs> you know, you made a great point that I'm going to start with, which is that I do I have jumped around a lot in my life and. I actually, someone once told me, um, looking at my resume, boy, you just did whatever the hell you wanted to do, huh? And I said, yeah, I guess so, right? So uh, right now, though, I'm the founder and CEO of Tech 2025, which is a platform and community for figuring out the future through emerging technologies. What we do is for companies, we help companies to understand how to um, uh, learn about and train their workforce for what's coming in the next three to five years uh, with regards to emerging technologies like AI and machine learning and drones and all that good stuff. Um, more importantly, we, we do this in a way that um, is very inclusive. We, uh, whereas innovation is usually top down in companies. When I launched Tech 2025, it was with the specific goal of talking to everyone and getting just with the understanding that we all have to be able to talk about these things and to understand them at a baseline, at least. Um, and that 
you know, in fact, we can all be participating in developing these, these technologies. And certainly um, towards the ethics end of it, we should be all participating in figuring out what the ethics are of these technologies. So we've been, we've been at this since January, 2017. Uh, we have a community of people, thousands of people who are wonderful professionals who come in well, before the pandemic, we used to do live events. <laughs> uh, uh, they'd come in and we would have um, these think tanks and discussions and um, really about the problems. So it really is about solving problems that it not just really exist today, but again, the problems that are coming down the pipeline. So we like to look at the, we, we talk about what's on the edge or just beyond the horizon. Okay, so that's one. Love doing that, by the way. I've learned a lot from a lot of people and one of the things that we wanted to to do that was really important that I wasn't seeing at that time um, which was in 2016 when I had the idea to launch this we did a soft launch in November of 2016 and then we did the official launch in January 2017 certainly back then as you know in tech Michelle it was a very different scene right it was still about the the hoodie crowd right the young guys they Nothing. Hey, listen, you know, young, young white guys, right? It was their ball. It was their ball game. And certainly if you wanted to even participate now, we did because we you know, we're in, we're part of tech. But I, I decided even back then in 2016, you know, we've got to figure out um, how to bring people in on this conversation and, and all of the stakeholders from corporate to um, to the legislators to the researchers. So we've had them all come in and have conversations with ordinary people who have turned out to be fabulous <laughs> awesome. about these problems. And so that, that, that's T25 in a nutshell, right? In a nutshell, we solve problems about the future and specifically focused on emerging technologies and we empower people and empower is a, a really, it's a bit of a goofy word, right? People say that word a lot. But we have had so many people come back to us and say, I launched my startup because of you. I didn't think I could do this. I'm 55 years old and I'm looking at retirement and now I'm, I'm actually coding and doing this and doing that. And so that's what you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh. I think it's, I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I loved when I was taking through the website and going through everything, like your predictions that you guys were putting out. I was like, oh shit. Like, <laughs> because when I read them, I was like, yep, yep. Yep. Like I, was, oh. I was in such agreement with, with so many of them because there's, you know, I, and I also like the fact that you're not going top down, no offense to our folks on the top, but no I think if we could, if we could dispel a lot of the fear yeah. below the top, then the top mm -hmm. would probably have an easier way of managing and leading and all sorts of things. And I think there's nothing deadlier to companies in my, this is just my humble opinion, than fear-based decision-making. Um, yeah and different wow. things like that. So, you know, I love that you guys are going, you're just going for the people part of it, which go figure, you ask them what they want and they tell you what they're confused about or tell them what their fears are, right? No, and that you nailed it. And not only that, it's even one step further because the reason that, the part of the reason, so there's two things that happened in 2006, well, it's three things that happened in 2016 that turned out to be a confluence of, of events that created this storm that gave birth to Tech 2025, if I can be so dramatic, right? So um, the, the first thing was that in June of 2016, I had a, uh, you know, minding my business, sitting at home, eating cereal, and I'm reading an article that's co-authored by Sebastian Brown, who is, I think he's co-founder of uh, what, Khan Academy or one of the, right, was it Udemy? One of, one of oh, those, I know, one, I know what you're one. talking about, yeah. So, rich white guy, right? So, so very talented though, I picked up from him. And then also it was co-authored by um, uh, Craig Schmidt, 
of Google, right? Mm -hmm. Former chairman. The entire article was basically saying it was in response to um, Elon Musk and Ethan Hawkins and the, sort of the tech dystopianists, right? Who feel like, oh my God, we, we should worry about algorithms and AI and robots and all that stuff. It was a, a direct response to that. And the response was, let us do what we're gonna do. We're gonna build this amazing future. It's gonna be based on AI and everyone's going to prosper. End of story. And that was the tone of the article too. So it really pissed me off. It really made me go, really? Because, uh, you know, even if that did happen, let's hope for the best, right? The fact is, is that a lot of people are going to fall through those cracks. Like, how do you- Right, and not to mention people are involved. So you cannot say that every aspect, you can't say this in regards to anything. And you and I were speaking about this before, about black and white approaches to things, right? Like, right. it's just like, I don't know, religion. You were given the freedom to choose. So right. people can figure out what happens after that. And the same with technologies. And I think, I think both sides are warranted on some level, yeah. however, privilege, money, things like that <laughs> come into perspective yeah. when you're it's, thinking about this and you're, you're right. People get forgotten when it comes to that stuff. They get forgotten and it's easy to forget and it gets a lot easier to forget those people when you realize you don't have a solution to the very real problems that they have to deal with. It then becomes not only easy to forget, but you can even yeah. convince yourself that they never existed, yes. right? It's, it's like, very convenient not to look at it. Yeah. Very inconvenient truth, right? It's like, oh my God. So when they said that, I said, oh, great, you both can afford sitting on your billions, right, to bury a hole into the middle of the planet while the rest of us fry on the top of the world, right? So this is me. So that's the first thing. The second thing that happened was that a lot of my clients started coming to me in 2016 with this fear, this like terror. Charlie, what is this, you know, this AI, machine learning, what's going on? And these are enterprise companies, right? Yeah. And I was talking to executives who were usually so confident, right? So confident, even when they, of course, shouldn't have been, right? Right. Even they were expressing this real fear about the technologies that were coming and how they were going to transition their organizations over the next several years through digital transformation in a way. So that's the other thing. The last thing that happened was the, um, uh, the 2016 election, you know, former President yeah. Trump, Trump, right? Two days after that, uh, that election, I was sitting in a room full of executives, 150 or so um, the C-suite executives of some of the biggest brands in the world at a conference. It was a very sort of, you know, exclusive conference out in um, Half Moon Bay in San Francisco. Yeah. I was invited as a guest, you know, I knew the, the organizer. And uh, that was where Mark Zuckerberg sat. He literally was 10 feet in front of me on stage. And he said to an audience of executives when asked by David Kirkpatrick, who was interviewing him, uh, did Facebook have anything to do with the Russian interference of the election of the 2016 election and are the algorithms to blame the you and his immediate reaction was i mean and and here's the thing because i was sitting so close yeah. on, because i was sitting and michelle this is the thing that you don't see on tv this is the thing that you don't see everybody has their their right to have their response right we all yeah. but i was sitting so close to him and i was recording him with my phone and i will never forget the micro, you know, the micro expressions that you can see in person that you don't see on a camera, whatever. And it, it, for me, what I saw, in my opinion, was an immediate, like, he just looked, uh, this look of disgust sort of came over his yep. face. He was yep. fleeting, but it was there. It was the immediate reaction. And then, of course, he went on to answer, no, of course not, blah, blah, blah. But I thought that immediate response of disgust to a question that was, number one, very valid, and number two, turned out to be, you know, accurate, um, 
was what I thought was the basis of what could be our potential downfall through these emerging technologies, which is the arrogance with how we develop them, the unwillingness to examine ourselves to, for constantly to make sure that we're not falling into that arrogant, you know, sort of pathway. And, and, and the unwillingness to really have these honest conversations in a way that serve us, that I saw would be just the end of everything. And so those three things happened. And then of course, by 2017, we were up and going. And, I, and as you say, thank you so much for your feedback on, on the events that we did. It was hard because to be honest with you, of course, back then, no one was talking about AI machine learning, not even people in business, really. I mean, I was hearing that from executives, but you know, most people... We didn't know, right? I did an I did an event for at uh, Duke was one of our clients, Duke um, Corporate Education, and they do events for, as you know, corporate events for executives, C-suite only of the top brands in the world, right? So I was, we were referred to them, and they they came to me and said, Charlie, we heard you can help us with this. We're trying to do an event, and it's about leadership, but all of the leaders are talking about technologies, these emerging technologies, and we don't we really aren't sure how to have that conversation. We know that you specialize in that. <clears throat> I did an event, did the event with them. There was a full day event and we talked to them about these things. And listen, no one, they were, they were afraid that they wanted to learn. And the way that we approached that with them, what with, I'm saying with these executives, right? Because I had them in the room and I had to talk to them about AI and machine learning. I'm not a developer of these technologies. I don't, I'm not an engineer. How is it that I, you know, Charlie, black girl from Brooklyn, you know, just could, could come in and have this conversation with these leaders about this? Well, you talk to them in a way that that taps into that. It sounds corny, but it taps into their humanity first, yeah, right? Yes. What are the problems we're solving? How's how is this gonna make someone's life better? You know, and will it be worth it if it makes you richer and but it makes someone else's life makes the, the people suffer in the process or or you know whatever? So it turned out to be a great event, and that's what we led with with regards to talking to people and asking these questions that you mentioned about the predictions, not shying away from asking the hard questions. Yes. And being, trying to be humble enough. I try to be humble enough to number one, understand that anybody and everybody has a piece of the answer. Yes, they do. Agreed. And that we may not even be asking the right damn question to begin with. (laughs) You're not talking to the people. (laughs) If you're, if you're doing it in a silo, you know, you're going to get an answer in a silo and you're going to reinforce the answer you wanted anyway. Right. You know, so, (laughs) so I love the fact that you're saying like that you went in and appealed to the humanity first, right? Because I, again, I don't know any business that doesn't involve people, you know, at some level. So humanity go figure has to be involved. And if we could just go back to that, that comment that you had about that look that Mark Zuckerberg gave, Right. And I think, cause I've, I've seen it and no offense against him. He's probably listening on my phone or something right now, whatever. Right. So <laughs> like, just around. But, I know, right? he's going to knock on my door later, but you know, it's, I feel like there's, sure, a, mine too. Yeah, there's a part of that where, you know, and again, I'm always looking like you, I'm always looking at all the different sides and I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I also want to, at the same time, um, I'm going to be very blunt, slap some shit, like slap some sense into them. Oh yeah. Be like, guys, come down, come down. And part of that I know is ego. And part of that is your self-worth tied up in the performance of your business. I recognize that. But part of it is also like the expectations change when you get to the top and that's where you get the, it's lonely at the top type of thing, 50 levels detached. But what is it going to hurt for you just to stay 
humble. And I, and I imagine that that look from him is also probably like, I've been asked this fucking question 50 times. <laughs> How many times do I have to answer it? But also like from the janitor that's cleaning your buildings, right. to your C-suite level people, mm-hmm. they all have something to give. Yes. You know, and to your point, I love the fact that you said every question is valid. Cause I mean, how many times was I told that as a kid? Like there are no dumb questions. Only one's not asked. Like, right. Like, tap into that leaders. So. Yeah. And not only that, the funny thing is, is the reason why I, I mean, so the way that we did this and the reason why I think our think tanks became so popular because immediately we were selling out rooms and sure. it, it was overwhelming. Like I, we yeah. couldn't believe us. Oh my God. And we were doing like three events per month. In addition to my client load, my, my surfresh media client load. So the funny thing is, is that I made a point of bringing in different types of people from different backgrounds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily, though, in the beginning, obviously, the, the ones who are developing the technologies, because we want to understand whether that be they're either develop, de- developing them, software engineers, or they're researchers who are doing whatever, you know, practitioners of the tech. Here's the thing, though, that I would tell them, because you'll understand this. Yeah. We know that they have PR teams. Exactly. Uh, you know, maybe not the developers, but you know what I'm saying? We know that there's a whole lot of BS. You go to these events and everyone gets on stage and they say whatever they want, you know. There's a party line. There's part. There's party lines right. developed, polished before you get on the stage. Yep, yep. Right, exactly. So how I admit it, and I did, I, part of my job through Surface Media was to do those types of events for clients. We put those events on, we marketed them, we did the whole strategy and everything. So I get it. Um, exactly. But with 2025, what I did was, with the speakers that we brought in, and these are some pretty brilliant people that I've, I've had the pleasure of either working with or knowing. So I was lucky to have a network that, you know, brought them in. And immediately there were rules that I had protect my faculty, my thing. Okay. So, you know, and the rules with the speakers were, and they, and what I found is that they appreciated this. The first they were shocked, maybe even a little offended, but then they loved it. I said, first of all, you can't give the presentation that you gave to that event a week, a week ago. Okay, you got to do. You got to. We are starting from scratch here with a problem that is not being explored enough. Not the problem that you solved two years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, no offense, you're brilliant. I love you, but let's start with the problem that we're not exploring. Okay, and then the other thing is, um, what are we asking of the audience? When, they, when we give them this problem and have them break out into groups, what are we really asking and what is it going to, what, what's the process by which they're going to arrive at that solution? Okay, so that's, and the third thing is that, you know, I got final approval over sort of what that presentation was going to be. And that is not anywhere, that's not meant to be authoritarian. What that turned out to be, Michelle, was I would have a conversation, I mean, a deep conversation with each and every, we've done over hundred events, each and every one of our speakers, no matter who they were, I would have conversations with them where I would, I would press them on their ideas and on what they thought and what I really, well, what about this? Why? What? Oh, interesting. You know? Yeah. And so it, when you have that, when you start with that, you can have a great experience that you can then give to the audience because between the two of us and I can give you a number of ways in which that happened but um let me just say that we have had because of that and believe me I've had assemblymen come in and talk and then and they tell me in private I don't know if I could talk about this stuff I don't, I don't know about this text I mean I, I talk about it on the campaign trail but I don't really know what this is and I'm like look it's okay so so that's like the, that's the dirty secret right is that even the people that we think should know 
they don't necessarily know it all. Not and to so, mention, like from a leadership perspective, you shouldn't know everything. Right. We like, should have all the You're not like I would rather someone say, like, I don't, I don't really know that. Let me find out. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like such like typical management one-on-one, but like no, even if true. you're a top person, but it's like people almost have this fear of what's expected of them, which is yeah. fine, but you have to, from a leadership perspective, I'm sure these people appreciated the safe space that you created for them as well, because then they can say, I don't know. And they don't have to feel like they have to have a legally or, you know, approved answer by their team. Yes, I'm glad you said that. And then also I would assume these leaders have to be open to a solution that maybe wasn't theirs. You, I love you, Michelle, because let me me just tell you the other thing that I did to make sure that that it's all, it is about creating safe spaces. It has to, you have to feel like it's okay to be wrong. Exactly. It's, okay, it's okay to even sound a little foolish. Um, you, you, you have to be open to that process. And so what I've made sure of is that at our events, um, it, it, the media was not allowed. And I got a lot of, early back then, imagine, I got a lot of um, journalists sure. just like, you're, you're having these events about these topics. And when I would let them in, it would, I would get the approval of the speakers and make sure it was okay, depending on the topic. For the most part, they were closed events where I would say to the audience, I know you guys are working in these companies. Some of you are managers and executives, assistants, students. You're not being asked these questions because you're telling me you're not. So when you come in here, I'm telling you that you can talk about these things in a way that I know you can't when you go back to your job in the morning. Yeah. And so what I was hearing from speakers, Michelle, and I'll tell you, Dr. James Fan, he's the co he's the um, co uh, co creator of IBM Watson. He was you know one on Jeopardy and everything. He um, he's one of the many, but he said it to me perfectly. He said, you know, Charlie, I've done a, I've, I've done two three of your events already, speaking at them in these think tanks, and he said, I'm blown away by what I'm learning from the audience. I he said we're underestimating them. Yes. They, they understand more than we think they do. And they think more creatively about this stuff than we're giving them credit for. And I heard that from so many speakers. Yeah. I mean, it makes complete sense. And I think you and I have probably both been in the situations where we're prepped with what to say to teams, right? And yeah. don't go too far this way because it'll set off panic amongst everybody or don't go too far this way. You know, and I, and I understand as a leader, there's a time and a place to right. announce certain things, to enter into certain conversations. But I think it's different if you're going into it with the stage that you're setting, which is safe space, like you said, and also you've already got their buy-in. You don't have to worry about, like when you make an announcement in all hands of 100, 200 people, you're not going to drop the bomb there. You're not going to have the buy-in. Like there's no way everyone's going to freak out and then you're going to have to leave it on your managers to have the buy-in versus getting the buy-in, tackling the problem you know, and announcing the problem in the buy-in situation. Can I say that one more time? Buy-in? Like, I don't know. Buy-in, yeah. Does that make sense though? No, it makes perfect sense. And you have to, you can't expect people to want to, um, you know, the vulnerability process is ugly, but it's a respected one because it takes courage to be that vulnerable. And I got to tell you to that end, um, this Dr. Fan, what's really funny about him is that um, he did an event for us. We, we did a, a thing on, on opioid and with, we did this with the state of Ohio, where we uh, participated in their challenge, where we just asked ordinary people to come in with their ideas about how technologies can help in the battle against opioid addiction, yeah. what, whoever the stakeholder is in that process. Right? 
And uh, so he came in and I said, this is uh, James, I want you to come in and just, just, you know, this is a diverse audience. We've got some uh, first response. We got, you got all kinds of people in first responders. We got, uh, you know, drug, drug rehab employees. We've got ordinary people who just are curious. I need you to talk to them about what some of the technologies are right now that are being used and how they're being used in, in the medical field. And in, in this, he's great, Charlie, I got it, no problem. And he loves what he does. You got to admit the people who are developing these technologies genuinely do. They do. really so do. Easy yeah. to demonize them. And I've done it sometimes myself, you know, because I'm in tech, we do what we do. But, uh, but the reality is they love what they do. They do. So he gets excited. This is really fun. You'll love this. He gets excited. I says, okay, well, we're going to run it, everybody. We're going to break out into groups and, and uh, we're going to hear your ideas. And, and, and But first, we, you know, we want Dr. Fan to come in and, and here he is. He's going to tell us about some of the technologies like machine learning and how these technologies can be used. Da, da, da. So anyway, he takes the mic and he starts talking. He's doing his spiel. He's like, yeah, you know, and, da, da, da. and, the, and at some point, the algorithm is going to be able to tell us what we should be doing and how we feel. And he goes into this whole thing and then the audience begins to turn on him. Yes, they did. I can imagine the minute you said the word should. And I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. I know what he meant. My team yes, knew yes. what he meant, right? But this, again, this is a general audience, right? And you're talking about something that's actually really emotionally, like this talk about human addiction, drug addiction. And at that point, the opioid crisis was, it was at its worst in this country. It was where, you know, especially in Ohio, that's why they did this. Job. So at a certain point, people started standing up and they were like, kind of like yelling, no, what do you mean? You know, they'd be getting emotional. But he was so, he was so, excited talking about the idea that he did not sense oh. that emotion he didn't sense enough to go mm -hmm. oh something's not right here maybe I should switch up or whatever so he just kept talking and I like eased onto the stage <laughs> hey. I said, and I snatched the mic and I said all right that's it and I pushed them off and I told my sister my sisters came and they scooted <laughs> I think it's a zone of genius thing also. Right? It is a zone of genius. And I loved him for that because I said, you know, you almost got, you almost got your butt kicked that day. Exactly. Like, yikes guy. Like, but I think it, again, like you and I know that because I knew the minute you said those words, I was like, Ooh, that's, that shit's not going to land well. You know, but it's, it's, I always tend to look at it as what's the intention behind the words. And I know like, yes. it's, it's not as easy as that sometimes. And I get it, especially when it comes to personal, I have, I have addiction in my family. I know a lot about it. So yeah. I can imagine a room full yeah. of people in those fields were yeah. like, wait, it's going to tell us how we're going to do things. Like, you let mean, me tell right. you. Right. I, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean, Michelle, about the early days of this. Now people are familiar with it. You know, they, everybody knows what algorithms are. They may not understand the, the technicality of it. Yeah. Everyone knows what AI machine is. Back then, when we were introducing these concepts, I made it clear to my speakers um, that you have to allow people to express what they're thinking and feeling. Yes. And that's the vulnerability is not just in being wrong about what you're saying, but allowing people to express their wrongness, if you want to put it that way, about what they think they understand about the technologies to you, even if it's uncomfortable, right? And so, but turns out that is where the gold is. That's where the gold is. And I'll be honest with you, early back then, Michelle, I had companies and I had the big companies coming to me because again, some you know I had clients in that space, and they would come to me and say, "How are you? First of all, how are you getting so many people to fill? How are you filling these rooms and getting people to, of all different backgrounds? Because we have we have everything from seventy five year olds down to Good. twenty year olds. 
how are you getting so many people to come to these events and da da da? That's number one. They couldn't understand it because these topics are exotic. People don't like technology. They don't understand it. And I'm like, no, that's what you think. That's what you think. That's what your survey and maybe some of your data says, but nobody exactly. asks people. Exactly. And furthermore, that's what the culture in Silicon Valley has perpetuated for the past 30 years is that it's right. a thing that you can't understand. And now guess what? They want everybody to start doing it because nobody's, there's not enough people. They want, they want the buy-in. Right. They want the buy-in. There you go. Exactly. Like you yeah. can be elite and then want the buy-in guys. They want the buy-in. You got to do it. But here's the funny thing. The companies also would say to me, so can we, can we pay you to come in and do this in our company then? Can you do these think tanks or events for our employees? And I said, no. I said, no, repeatedly. I said, no, emphatically. I said, no, not, not yet. And the reason is because that first year or two of establishing this, I knew that if I took my mess, what we're doing into companies, we wouldn't be able to do in companies what we do outside of companies. And so my answer was, well, you're part of the problem, right? (laughs) Right, because it's going to be, and unfortunately this is what employees know walking into like, you know, these open-minded discussions with HR kind of thing. Like, you know, they don't, there's a lack of trust. And if you were to walk in and, you know, kind of, um, you know, get, I don't want to use, I mean, censored kind of, but you have to align with the company's values. You have to- Kind of say say the company lines like you've automatically lost the trust of the people in the room, which is what your entire model it sounds like is built on <laughs> to be able 100. to open. One hundred, and it's not easy. Listen, I've had to hear things. I I put myself in that category. So I'm not putting myself above it. I've heard things from people who corrected me or right. who shocked me, and I've been like, oh. And I'll give you a perfect. This is really funny because this involves truck drivers. So I'll give you this perfect example. Um, we didn't. We've done a few events on on drive on autonomous trucks or trucking technology, believe it or not. Uh, we do a lot of events on autonomous vehicles and stuff. And so this was back in like 2018. And back then we were asking the question, well, what's going to happen? Well, we already know that there's a trucker, truck driving, trucker, truck, excuse me, truck driver shortage <laughs> right now. That's That's been in the process of happening. We know that there's gonna be thousands of truck drivers um, retiring and it's, this is only going to get worse. Um, but then it's also compounded by the fact that these automation technologies are coming. So what, what's going to happen here, right? So that was the whole sort of idea behind the event. Now, when we do these events, just so you know, so an event like that, I reach out to all of the, as many truck driving companies, as many trucking companies in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, as we can get our hands on. That's part of our marketing. People don't realize it, but <clears throat> I would, we reached out to mom and pop companies, the small trucking companies, and we would say to them, come in. We got free tickets. Have a great night to you know a little food, little booze, a little food. You know, meet people, learn something. About. And so that's important. So we put this ad out on Facebook about the future of trucking, right? Truck drivers, they're retired, whatever. Who's next? Who's the, where are they going to find these workers? Well, they've got to bring in the millennials, and they have to bring in women and minorities. So how are they going to do that? Well, you would think that that would have been a good ad. That ad almost went viral with truck drivers leaving comments on it. They were so angry and disgusted by that event. Yeah, and I didn't understand it. And I'm watching the comments roll in and they're angry. And they're just, as you know, when you're angry, you express a lot of other things. And I'm just, I'm just, it's my job at that point. Yeah. Take that anger to, to just, Take in space for it. Yeah. Space for it to do what I ask my speakers to do, which is 
be vulnerable, listen, you'll learn something. So I watched it for a while and they were tagging each other. That's how it went viral so quickly. The truck drivers, which is a tight knit community, they were tagging each other and sharing it. And so finally one truck drive, cause I still wasn't getting it. I'm like, this is a good event. It's trying to figure out how to bring in diversity into the trucking industry. What's the problem? One truck driver said, I don't get it. If the robots are taking our jobs and the women are taking our jobs and the millennials are getting the jobs, what's gonna happen to us? Now we could debate whether or not that's a valid fear or not, whatever, but it is valid. But it is to them. It's yeah, a valid it, fear to yeah. them. And when I read the title of the art of the event, as I put in, I struggle a lot with titles, especially back then, because we had to convey to a number of different people, the experts and the non-experts, yes. why they should be in that event. Right. When I looked at the title of that event, I said, Oh my God, we basically kicked truck drivers, the current truck drivers to the curb. We're not only not including them in the conversation, we're saying you guys can leave y'all, y'all. And it was unintentional, right? But it was like, holy crap, we're not. And when the reality is what, Michelle, the reality is, is that those truck drivers who are leaving, um, who are retiring right now or in the next several years, they were part of the solution. Yes. Because they have knowledge. And when they retire, you don't want them to take that knowledge with them. They might start businesses and startups that can help the industry. They might take. So I didn't think of that. Anyway, that's a prime example of the intentions are good, right? I had the best of intentions and it was kind of was enough. (laughs) Right, right, right. But what you're describing happens so often in these industries. And it's going to be really interesting just because of, I don't want to say newness, but somewhat newness in tech right? Of what's going to happen when the generations shift and all, I mean, yeah. I see it and I see it in um, some of the old kind of engineering mm-hmm. leads and managers and different things like that, where I wondered, you know, all of this knowledge, what happens when these kind of people come up and all that's lost? Like my yeah. husband's an engineer and mechanical engineer, and, you know, they see it too, where he's like, no, let me pass this on to you. Don't discount it because it's not new and shiny because everything else is built on top of it. But from your, from your point, like that wasn't your intention, <laughs> right? But I'm sure it's a PR fucking nightmare. Um, <laughs> like, you know, It's not easy. No, it's not easy, but it's doable. I think, I mean, let's, let's put a little Glennon Doyle in here. We can do hard things, right? So, you know, I just, I mean, I applaud you for holding that space though, because I think a lot of people get the first whiff of that vulnerable, uncomfortable backlash and they panic, which probably goes to your media training back there. So well, yes, <laughs> on that as well. So bravo for that, my friend. Well, um, you know that better than I do. You're part of that too. I, that's why I, I, I just have so much respect for you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, let me just ask the question in the last couple minutes so that you can just give us the soundbite answer. I know we're talking about going deeper, but I'm going to ask it. Will robots replace our jobs, friend? <laughs> you just had to go there, didn't you? Real quick, because I know it's not a yes and it's not a no. You know, one day someone's going to ask me that question and I'm going to say, not only will robots replace us, robots are going to replace you specifically. <laughs> 
you've been replaced already. Like, I just yeah. feel like I just just go in that I direction. Right? <laughs> um, no, it's a valid question. And, I, and honestly, I, I, I think that while you can talk to a million different experts and they can give, they will give you a million different exam, uh, you know, right. answers. Um, <clears throat> You know what, you know, we, we know that some jobs are going to be lost. We know a lot of jobs are actually, but, but that's, there's a natural progression here that's happening no matter what. The industrial revolution is not new, right? We've been right. doing it. So, so the reality is, dude, this is going to happen no matter what. It's just, it is. Um, so yes, there will be jobs. There will be millions of jobs, but there's going to be millions of jobs coming. The important thing to remember is that Okay, millions will be lost. What will be? What should happen? We st- we should not. Is anybody innovation? Is anybody like pining for horse and buggies? Is is anybody pining for like plowing the fields? And do you want to go back to that? I don't. Like, you know? So right. So so to that end, yes, a lot of this will be automated, and that's a good thing. I think the pandemic has shown how that can be a good thing. We get our time back. We get. But also, I think the other thing to remember is millions of jobs will be created or entirely new industries would be created. I think what's more important to remember is that number one, the experts, whoever they are, fill in the blank with who, yeah. whatever expert name you put me in there, but don't know what those jobs and everything is. That is still very gray. And that's the space that we live in that can be so scary or exhilarating depending on who you are or what time of day it is. And, and that's why we keep asking, are the robots going to replace us, eat us, what, what's going on? And so I would say to um, revel in that because that's where the ideas, the new jobs, the new um, companies are coming from. So whereas in the past, we relied on the top, the guys, at, the guys and gals at the top to tell us what we are going to be. The onus now, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the, the challenge now is for us yes. to yes. figure out what we are going to be and how we are going to get. And I think people are I think people are already doing that because of the pandemic. People are like, you know what, I don't I don't have to sit in the company right now and do whatever. I can launch my own yeah. startup. Or I, I know how to more importantly too, I will end on this. Rather than focus on how, I mean, you always want to focus on how industry is, is automating, of course, please do that. Go to as many events as you can, um, network with people, stay on top of the game. That's easy enough to do nowadays, okay, especially with the, especially with the virtual, you know, we're all virtual now. But the other thing that I would say is, in addition to continuously learning, um, is to experiment and join communities and learn how to learn how to automate as much of your life as you can yourself. Because I think that's going to give you an understanding of just how much we take for granted and just how much work we do that we don't need to do or vice versa. You know, it will keep you thinking constantly about, whoa, okay, so I can automate this. So then what do I do now? You know what I mean? You want to get into the mindset of automation in a good way. Right. So you can go there's podcasts and there's one podcast I will um, definitely recommend called um, uh, Automators. And they talk a lot about automation um, in a personal way. Right. So make it personal, I think. Make it personal. Right. Um, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, and I like the fact that you're saying that because, I mean, then it avoids stagnation as well, folks. Like I think sometimes think people think automation you know, eliminates the ability to grow or it eliminates, you know, you out of the equation. But to your point, automation, I mean, I can say this because I was 
very, very big in operational excellence and all that good stuff. People process technology intersection. Like oftentimes the greatest things come out of the fact that you get the stuff that can be out of your head, you know, then you can become, you know, and then, you know, you become part of the solution, which is people are missing instead of sitting here worrying Right. And being in the mindset, like be part of the solution because you do have the ability to your point. It is not always top down. I mean, for goodness sakes, if you really look back, Zuckerberg built it in a freaking college dorm room, like you can too. Like, so, you know, being part of the solution, being open to the innovation and constantly being changing and open to that as well. And participating, you know, it's not happening outside of you. It's not just happening outside of you. Well, it's actually I mean, and listen to your point when I, you know, I, I had a block of a mental, spiritual, whatever block of, of a month or two ago. And I'm like, why am I not, I'm not really creating? I'm not doing it. And, and I realized, which is usually the case, I'm, I'm allowing myself to be bogged down with stuff I don't need to be bogged down with. So I had to do an inventory. I said, let me do an inventory of my, of my, my systems and processes here. And let me see what I can push out to someone or something else to technology or to a person. Let me see what can be automated here. And it turns out, there were some things that I needed to just let go of and just create a, the automated, you know, sort of process for, for getting it done that I could just, and it freed me up. And it was like, oh. Yeah. And some uh, of those things are like mental hurdles. I mean, we could go on all day about this, but this last point is, <laughs> you know, some of them are mental hurdles because I can hear some people saying, well, you know, that requires money to be able to outsource. That requires, you know, a certain level of this, certain level of that. However, you know, as someone who has not had money, um, and okay. has had money, both both ends of the spectrum, right? Like you just have to optimize things from like your household chores to yes. how you review your budget to how you spend your money. And some of that, it's a current state analysis that, I mean, I always recommend at least once a quarter people, if not more, like current state analysis of you as a person. We run them in companies, but we need to be running them in households. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And if people did that, we, we'd have a... I think we're going to have just an army of people who are just ready to sort of help us figure out what, what, where we're going, what yeah. we're doing. I mean, yeah, exactly. And who like become the captains of their own ships per se in, in a good way. Um, I don't know. I get, I get excited about stuff. And I asked you that robots question because, you know, it's the one that's always asked. Right. But well, I, get- and, I don't know that. and to your, to your point of the, the companies right now are making a huge tactical strategic mistake uh, and we don't know how this is going to play out this is just my opinion but by by not allowing your your workforce to be hybrid in some way yes. one or two yes. days a week at home or whatever you're basically you're, you're you're kneecapping your innovation because the people who are at home like we all were this past year are figuring out how to make their work processes better, more efficient, more, you know what I mean? They're the ones who are, you know what I'm saying? Like you've got to let people have that autonomy too. So you should be asking for autonomy in your work life as well. You know, if you, you yes, think that's yes. important. And give it time. If you're running a company folks, give it time because it's yeah. not a sprint and, you know, it may impact your bottom line, you know, right now in the year, but in the long run, like you said, those people are going to innovate. I mean, I am more efficient after the freaking pandemic than yes. I'm a pretty efficient person, not going to lie, but like more narrowed, more focused, more right. efficient because you had to be at a necessity, which is right. as wonders. Well, anyways, we could talk for, I love that. or yeah. we could do like a part two, three, four, and five on this, but tell people where they can find you, my dear, and your fabulous company. 
Oh, thank you so much. This has been great. Awesome. Uh, I am, well, you can find me on Twitter at, at it's complicated, uh, yeah. literally it's complicated. Yes. Um, and, uh, clearly I'm one of the, I, I started Twitter in like 2007, eight, seven, eight. Um, so yeah, that's when names like that were cool or whatever. Um, and then, uh, you can, <laughs> I think it's great that you actually got it. So that, that was what I but thought. Get that early. That's a good. Hit. Yeah. That's bad. It's a badge of honor. It's like when yeah. you see people with one name on Twitter, like at John, at Bob, you know, that they were early, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and you can find us, um, at Tech 2025. You can join our newsletter, join the community, come to our events at uh, tech2025.com. Uh, that's all of the information about what we're doing is there. We have, um, you know, the weekly events. We have a lot of stuff going on. So that's it. Wonderful. Wonderful, folks. And I definitely urge you, just go just go peruse through it. You know, pour a glass of wine if you need it, if you get anxiety when you go through it. But just go, just go down the rabbit hole a little bit and keep an open mind and know that change is not always necessarily a bad thing. And if you are running a company, go read a book on change management, please. <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. Put like, that on a t-shirt. There's <laughs> profiles of how people react and they're pretty well studied. So just at least read the basics. All right. Well, thank you very much for being with me here. Thank today. you. Thank you for having me. This was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> all right, folks. So we have officially figured out the robots are not coming to eat us. <laughs> you know, I felt so kind of silly, like asking her that, that last question, but, you know, I've heard it from people so many times around, you know, is AI going to replace us? You know, am I going to have a job in five years? You know, just so many different questions. And I think Charlie makes a good point around, you know, having all of the necessary stakeholders at the table, right. And actually asking the people involved in those processes, top, not just top down folks, all inclusive, right? And I think this day and age, we are living in a, in a time that you can innovate, that you can disrupt. And disruption is not always a dirty word, right? It, it can mean some really exciting things. So, you know, I loved Charlie's insight on so much during this and, you know, she's hysterical. So why not have her on the show? Maybe I'll have her on again. Who knows? But on next week's episode, I am welcoming the beautiful, the amazing and inspirational Kerry Murphy. We are going to be talking about authentic marketing and how to leverage video, you know, and what does that mean? What does authentic marketing look like? How do you bring the human factor into your marketing and really feel confident about it too. So that is next week's episode. So as always, if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, follow all of those good things. And, you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later. 